Welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys so, so much for being here. This is a, a conversation. This is a topic. I'm surprised. I don't think I've ever talked to anybody about this on the podcast in, in this whole time, this whole two years. So I'm excited about this today. If the content blesses you, challenges you, makes you think or anything like that, I would really personally appreciate it if you would consider subscribing on one of the podcast platforms, leaving a comment or a review is super, super helpful. So those are some ways that you can support this channel. Appreciate you guys again so, so much. My guest for today is Carol Ball. Carol is the Women's Ministries Director and Assistant U.S. Ministries Director for Elam Fellowship. Previously, she served as co-senior pastor of Lighthouse Community Fellowship alongside her husband, Chris, for 27 years. Come on, somebody. She's recognized nationally and internationally for her leadership, prophetic ministry, and teaching ministry, and has a burden to see God's people, particularly women, come to a deeper devotion to Christ and fulfill their God-ordained purpose and calling. Wow. So guys, I appreciate you again for joining me. Join me in welcoming Carol Ball to the podcast for the first time. How are you doing, Carol? Thanks so much for being here. Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. It's a privilege to be here. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's so, it's so good. And like, just, just to give a little bit of context, context, uh, for this conversation and, and how this particular topic came about today, a few weeks back when all this stuff came out about, um, the Southern Baptist convention expelling a couple of churches from their uh, fellowship, from their denomination, uh, Saddleback Church and Fern Creek Church, because they had uh, women in lead pastoral roles. I guess it was on Facebook. I came across something that you posted, and then I think we ended up on a similar thread, and uh, our mutual friend Alex Seidler kind of loosely initiated an introduction between you and me, and I invited you to be on the podcast, and like a superhero, you sprung into action and said <laughs> yes. And uh, <laughs> I've been really looking forward to this conversation. It's something I've been interested in discussing, particularly since that issue came out uh, within the SBC. And uh, it's something that's on my heart a lot. I know it's on your heart a lot. So I'm just excited today to kind of get your perspective on this subject of, of women in ministry. But just before we, we jump into any of the specific kind of stuff, would you share a little bit about uh, just your background in ministry and feel free to go back as far as you want. But if you'd share some of your background and just your, your journey with the Lord in, in ministry up till today. Sure. Sounds good. Yes. I like to go back to the beginning yeah. <laughs> so, um, with, with, every, with everything. But yeah, so this is a subject and a topic that's very, very close to my heart and I'm very passionate about. I actually got saved very quickly. I will just say I was born in 1959 and I was raised in a probably what you would call a nominally Catholic home. Got into a lot of mess in my teenage years. Anyway, 1983, I was 23 years old and I got born again. I got saved. And really, uh, um, immediately, I was actually on the trajectory to becoming um, a mechanical engineer. I was working a job as a mechanical designer and taking uh, college classes and but God apprehended me I got I was born again and within that first year I really felt a very strong call to um, what I suppose today would best be described as career ministry and you know I, mm -hmm. I I believe that we're all any child of God is is a minister and God has us he calls us in different places where he has us you know whether you're a teacher whether you're an engineer whether you're a you know, a doctor or yeah. working in a, you know, wherever you are, that's your mission field and you're a minister and 
you have works of ministry. But I felt strongly that I was called to something other than what I was doing, that I was called to a career uh, in ministry, um, doing, you know, making it a life kind of choice. And um, sure. that first year, um, my church, a lot of people my age, um, it was a kind of a fallout, not, I don't know if fallout's the right word, but uh, still the um, Jesus movement and the charismatic movement, and everything was still a lot of young people were, were coming to the Lord. And in my area, yeah. like a lot of people that I was in high school with were getting saved. And it was like, you know, we'd see each other in church. Hey, you know, I remember you at that party. Yeah. Well, Jesus, praise God. And so um, anyway, the, so our, my pastors and the leaders in the church, I, I began to feel something. I began to feel right away. I had, I had like a saved to the bone, you know, really intense conversion. Mm. I was like, you know, everything was like 180 in my life. And, wow. and I just couldn't be at the church enough. I couldn't, it was like, Jesus, he loved me. And I knew why we were, you know, I knew all these things. And, um, but he began, I began to really sense a real call and, and uh, the leaders, I, I, other people, my age, I say uh, other people, my age were getting saved because a lot of people were coming. I heard them coming up to the pastor or coming up to some of the elders and saying, God's called me, God's called me. And, and they would say, oh, well, you know, it's all exciting now and you're emotional now, but you know, like put that, you know, let that rest a little, you know, and I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to tell anyone because mm. it's like they're kind of raining on their parade. But I yeah. started having leaders come to me and say, you know, God's got something for you and you're not going to have a normal nine to five job, you know, things like that they were saying. And, um, the pastor and his wife, who actually in that day functioned as co-pastors, didn't call themselves that, but they definitely functioned that way. Mm -hmm. um, but they began to take me under their wing. And this was all happening very, very quickly. The Lord led me to go to get more education, which at first I didn't want to do. I just wanted to be put in ministry because I didn't like mm -hmm. going to school. But, but um, <laughs> yeah. so we would have sometimes guest speakers come to come and say, you know, they get up there and say, God, just put me in ministry. I didn't have to go to Bible school or anything. I'd be like, yes, Lord. Yes. Lord. But that wasn't his plan for me. So he began to talk to me about that. And I actually applied to some colleges, Valley Forge. It was an Assembly of God church I got saved in. So I applied to Valley Forge, okay. which was close to home. You know, I could go to my mom and dad on the weekends and stuff. And, um, but he actually, the Lord actually used, which I found out he used with a lot of others. He used um, that scripture verse in Exodus where it says they came to Elam. When I was reading one night, he really used mm. that to dynamically say that Elam was the place. So I went to Elam. So um, nine months, nine months old in the Lord. And uh, I went to Elam. It was just a powerful time in my life. It, it, the Lord was just accelerating me. And, and um, right away at Elam, not from the staff or faculty or anything, but from the student body, I began to feel this resistance. Like in my first semester, a bunch of us were sitting around a table in the cafeteria and everyone was asking the question, like, why did you come to Elam? And People were saying, you know, different things. And I just said, I feel called to preach. That's all I knew at that moment was mm, I was called yeah. to preach. And um, and this guy gets a, sitting across from me, gets a smirk on his face, and he leans over and he was serious. He like, he goes, Well, you obviously haven't read First Timothy chapter two. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, What? 
Because now I'm nine months old in the Lord, and I, you know, and I've been having all of this positive sure. support and encouragement, and I'm like, what? <laughs> so I there was a friend, there was a friend from my church there who was sitting next to me. There it was actually three other young people from my church that were there, which I I didn't know Elam was a Bible school. I didn't even know what Elam was at the time. That's why you know the Lord says you're going there, and um, I mean, bef- bef- I didn't. My, one of the young ladies that was a friend she was going for counseling. So I just thought Elam was just like a, any other college. I didn't understand the biblical reference. Oof. You got so, a big surprise um, when you, when yeah. you got there. Well, no, I knew, I knew before that because her mother, this one yeah. woman's mother, when I said, I'm going to go to Valley Forge, she said, she actually veered me. She said, don't, don't go to Valley Forge. She said, go to Elam. She said, they're having revival at Elam. And I was like, what's Elam? Cause I thought I was like, Elam, that's where Anne goes. She's just, you know, she's going for counseling. And she said, no, it's a, but I didn't want to go cause it was too far away. It was like five and a half hours away from my mm. home. So I was like, that's why I didn't want to go. But the Lord just really mm, had me go. So this, yeah, this person from, from my church, he, he says to me, I just didn't say anything after that because I felt I would just would have started crying because I felt like I got punched in the gut. So mm-hmm. my friend, everyone left. And I, I said, why? I said, I don't want to do anything. I mean, I literally, my heart, I said, I don't want to do anything that is against God or it's, it's against the Bible. I don't want to do it. I said, why? I said, I don't understand why God, God put that desire, gave me that desire. God said this to me if it's against his word. I said, well, but you know, and and um, my friend said, come with me. And he brought me up to the library in those days and put a cassette tape in. <laughs> and um, and he said, you listen to this and then you tell me if God calls women to preach. And it, thank God for that, for that young, for that friend, because, wow. um, and others, you know, over the years. But that was the beginning of, you know, so I listened to the tape. It was actually, I don't know who, who will hear this, who will be listening to the podcast, who knows who Sylvia Evans is, but she's a she's an uh og of elam fellowship and she's very um absolutely awesome bible teacher she's amazing prophet and and uh but anyway it was her on the on the cassette tape and i just sat there and cried and i was like okay because it was just so anointed Mm -hmm. and such revelation of the word and it was awesome and amazing and i just said okay okay carol that that's a (laughs) that's a tough spot to be in though for sure when it's like you didn't initiate this thing, right? Like this was God calling you to ministry, right? And so you're looking yeah. for a place to get educated and to get training and stuff like that. And then you're confronted with something that is like, obviously it's scripture, obviously it's it's Bible. And you're confronted with something that uh, I'm, I'm sure there that there are so many uh, women uh, just a- across the world that had a very similar experience mm-hmm. to yours yeah. where all of a sudden you're confronted with something and you kind of have that crisis of faith because on the one hand, you're like, I, be- I really believe God called me. It's the only reason I'm doing this. Like, this is not me. Like, who in their right mind just wants to go into ministry when it's not a calling, <laughs> right? But, but yeah. it's like, but but you know there's this calling from God on the one hand, but then you're kind of confronted with this pa- these passages of scripture that when you read them and you don't understand cultural context and and things of that nature, it just seems like if, if we take it as a blanket statement, it is. It's like, oh, I don't have any business being in ministry, you know, teaching in a church or, you know, any, anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's a that's a tough spot for sure 
to to be and i appreciate you sharing that because i feel like there's a lot of of women out there that have had similar experiences to that yeah yeah definitely and that's the whole that's the whole reason why it's so because like i said that was the beginning of a whole you know years of just that kind of you know thank god for those who are who are around us who are who, who are do who do encourage and support you know men and women um, mm -hmm. in ministry who encourage and support women who are called, but there's there's still that you know that resistance that you come up against and um, you always you know and and women in ministry are because of that because you know I'm not the only one. I know the feeling of for example being in a meeting where they call like I got ordained in 1999 with Elam Fellowship. And I just know the feeling of being in a meeting where they call the ordained ministers up to pray and you sit there and feel like, is it okay for me to go up? Or, mm. and, and, and you can feel when you walk up, you can feel some of the stairs like, what are you doing? What are you going what's up What's she there? doing there? Yeah. yeah what's she doing yeah, there? That's a good point. And, and it's mm -hmm. like, in an, and it's a real thing. So there's always that doubt. There's always that doubt. There's always that voice in the back of your head going stop it you're you're a usurper you're going to be looked at like a usurper you know and and uh so that's why it's so i'm so passionate about it for and that's why i do what i do with the women ministry that i do um is um i you know my i say to women um you know you can any anyone who's believed the lie that you can't because you're a woman god says you can and uh, yes. you can, and you can, and I, I want to replace the lie with the truth that you can. So that's my that's my heart. <laughs> that's my passion. Amen. I would venture to say that most people, like probably the vast majority of people, that do not affirm women mm -hmm. in leadership and in particular pastoral roles in the church, are holding on to that standard uh, with good intentions. The same way that that guy back in the day confronted you and said, mm -hmm. well, according to this passage of scripture. And so it's from like a place of good intentions, I think. Right. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Where it's I basically, you know, it's like wanting to adhere to the whole of scripture. And we don't have the luxury <laughs> of um, just picking and choosing the parts yeah. of scripture that we want to follow and that we want to adhere to. And we really don't even have the luxury of saying, well, you know, this isn't culturally relevant today. It was back then, but it's not today. Cause like that's a slippery slope too. Right. Cause then we can yeah. get into all kinds of things. They're using that argument to get away with all kinds of things and to put a whole bunch of things in, in a place where it's just outright, you know, blatant sin and saying, well, that's, right. that was for them back then, but not today. So like, right. that's a slippery slope, right? There's so there's slope. like a handful of, there's, there's definitely people out there that I would say definitely most of them that say, no, 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 women can't uh, have authority over a man in a church setting, or, you know, women can't be in pastoral or governmental leadership roles in the church. I would <laughs> say that they definitely have, you know, good intentions in wanting to stick to the whole of scripture. Right. Definitely. I think, I think yeah. the slippery slope when people say, you know, oh, we, oh, it's not culturally relevant, relevant is, <laughs> you know, the thing that happens there is, okay, there are some things that you have to look in how the people that day would have understood it when they read it. And you do that by looking at the, at, at the history, historical research, at what they were saying, at the language, what was being said. But there are, 
there are some, you know, and there are some things that are actually timeless truths, I call them. They're timeless. The mm -hmm. Bible says that, and it's forever and ever. That's how it is. And but there are some things that were being said to the people, you know, like we, women can wear jewelry and, and, you know, and braid their hair. So what? why were women being told not to let their beauty be their jewelry and braid? Why were they being told that? That's the important thing. Um, so the reason they were being told that was the principle that you take away from there is don't try to draw attention to yourself in vanity mm -hmm. for yourself. You know, let your heart for the Lord be the thing that shows. That's the principle. Um, I'm trying to think of other things like some of the Old Testament things, like don't wear blended materials. Don't, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, no polyester. You know, yeah, yeah. But um, so looking into, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with looking into the reasons why some of those things were said and why it's okay not to do them today. But we have to look at the whole context of scripture. So some things yeah. in the whole context of scripture, no, it wasn't that the culture is different. It, it does say that is wrong. You know, it does say that. There's nothing in the Bible that ever says it's okay, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm, right. Um, so if we want to, you know, just address some of these passages of scripture head on, we've got first, first Timothy chapter two, we've got uh first Corinthians chapter 14. And then there's some others. There's like Titus one verses five through seven. And we've, we've got a hand. Exactly. Yeah. We've got a handful of passages of scripture that, uh, that address these things. Probably the most the harshest language comes out probably in second Timothy and in first Corinthians 14, where it's basically Paul saying, I don't permit a woman to, to speak in the church or to have authority over a man, that kind of thing. And so there's this language that comes out. So what do you think there about, because it's interesting that Paul only uses that language when he's talking to number one, the Corinthian church and in Timothy, where he's talking to Timothy, and Timothy was the leader of the Ephesian church. So we've got Corinth and we've got Ephesus, right? Right. I do think this is significant because when we look at Corinth, we look at Ephesus. These are two cities that had a they, they had centers of worship to the to the goddess Diana, this female deity that they served and worshipped. And really, in those two cities, there was a very like ingrained into the culture was this idea of predominantly predominantly women uh, ministers in this temple. There's a lot of prostitution involved in the worship to their deities and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about the cultural context, you know, we, we can't ignore that because, you know, in all of the letters that Paul wrote, like that's exactly what they were, right? They were letters. And so when yeah. Paul writes to <laughs> like Galatians is it's not a, it's not the book of Galatians. It's the letter to the church in, in, in Galatia. Yeah. Right. And so recognizing that he was dealing and we see this, I think the place we probably see it the most, or maybe just, and it might just be because they're the longest letters, but the Corinthian letters, so much of it is Paul addressing specific mm -hmm. instances and specific things that were happening in the church. Yeah. And so it's not far-fetched at all to say that with, particularly with Corinth and with Ephesus, that there was a really good chance that Paul was addressing an issue that because people were like getting saved and coming to Christ out of mm -hmm. a religion where it, it was very, very 
twisted and messed up with a lot of prostitution type stuff being used in the temples to serve their gods and predominantly female ministers in those, you know, temple worship sent settings and all of that. And now like coming from that to Christ, like it's easy to kind of see that there may have been some things, things, things happening out of context, things getting out of hand and mm -hmm. some things that Paul needed to set in order for Paul to say those things specifically to those two cities and only to those two cities. I think that that's something that, you know, we need to definitely consider. What, what do you yeah. think about that? Oh, definitely. It's very significant because the, in Corinthians, he's addressing the women talking in the church and speaking in the church. And he says, I do not permit a woman to speak in, in, the, in the church service, in the synagogue. It actually says, because I have it here, let your women keep silent in churches for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive <laughs> as the law also says. That's an important key that right there, as the law also says. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, I always read that and kind of chuckle now that <laughs> studied it because I, I say well if you really want to take it if you really want to take it that verse face value and say you do not permit a woman to speak why are you you know then then when she walks in the door she can't say hello to anyone I mean if she can't speak mm -hmm. she can't speak I mean why are you saying it means she can't preach well you know um that's just my little funny thing yeah, yeah. but um but really, yeah. um, the Corinthian church was not, they were, they were gen a Gentile church that were trying, they were trying to do the right things. They were trying to inquire of Paul, how do we do this? We want to do it like the Jews are doing it, the synagogue rules and the synagogue laws. Um, so that's what they were asking. So that's why they said, should a woman be silent in church as the law says? Now, Paul comes back with a rhetorical question. That's what he's actually saying there. He's actually mm -hmm. saying, what did the law start with you? And and he's it's kind of like what in Romans where they say, um, should I sin more because where sin abounds, grace abounds? And he's saying, right. yeah. like certainly not, like, yeah, 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 certainly not. So he's that's the con conversation that's going on here. They're they're saying we want to know should the women be silent in church? Um, and you know it's it, and it could it could be that they were yelling out. I don't, you know, I've been to some churches in Egypt now where the men and women still sit separate, women on one side and men on the other. And, right. You know, it would be disruptive to for them to say, what does he mean? You know, <laughs> and, 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 I mean, and this is also in the context of uh, of I, I forgot to say this in, in the the first Corinthians 14 passage. <clears throat> the context is prophetic ministry. Yes. going on in the church as well. It's not even, and maybe we can say, well, Paul was talking about prophetic ministry and then he broadened his scope. Like we don't know for sure, I guess, but the context there, which is something that we always look at, no matter what we're talking about, we need to look okay. at context. The context of this whole passage, he's talking about speaking in tongues and he's talking about prophesying in church settings, kind of setting order to these things that were happening because it was, again, getting out of hand and there was confusion. Mm -hmm. He even says, you know, in the same passage, God is not a God of confusion. But it's in that that context of prophetic ministry taking place in the church. And Paul says elsewhere, I think it's in the First Corinthians um, 11 passage, but Paul says elsewhere, he talks about women prophesying in the church. Yeah, and, and so clearly he didn't have a problem with that. Yeah, let them prophesy. First Corinthians eleven. Yeah. That's another one of those passages where we get into the head stuff. And but but um the head coverings but, and all that. 
yeah. stuff, you know? Yeah, I, I, I could talk about that one too, if you want. That's, that's, <laughs> um, that's, if you really see what is really being said there, it's actually a beautiful passage. And, and yes. Uh, yeah. So Paul's saying that he's, he's saying what you're saying, you know, the, the thing, even in, even in first, even in the first Timothy passage, the thing that escapes people is in the culture, Jesus was revolutionary in the freedom he gave women for that time. He didn't come in and like, wow. and kind of say, you know, give them too much at one time. He started a revolution that was expected to unfold over the centuries. Um, he freed up women. The, the fact that women were in the service was still to this day, I've been to Jerusalem. And when we go behind, uh, when we go to the Wailing Wall, if you go behind it, you can go and see the Torah and see all these, you know, the, their uh, manuscripts and ancient manuscripts and everything. And they're in these glass cases. We couldn't go in. Mm -hmm. I couldn't go in because I was a woman. Uh, we, we, mm -hmm. had, we went up onto this balcony that was glass in front of us and we were able to look down but the men were able to actually go in and go up to the manuscripts. So this was revolutionary. Wow. And the fact that the women were excited that they were able to even be in the synagogue and be learning. And, you know, so they're excited. So of course they're like, wow. oh. <laughs> you know, so Paul is trying to bring, he's, he is trying to bring order. However, he's saying to them, what law are you talking about? You're talking about man, you know, they said, they said, as the law says, he says, there's, he said, what? There's no, the, there's no law of God. There's no um, the Mosaic law that says a woman has to be quiet in church. That was a law mm. that man made up. It's, it was a synagogue law. Mm. But in any case, let all things don't be done decently in order. Yeah. So he's kind of being rhetorical with them. So that's, yeah. that's where he's talking about there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, if, if this was really an, an issue of sin... Uh, this is really an issue of you know women not being able to have leadership roles and positions. It seems like Paul could have done us a favor and addressed it in the other churches. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And and and, yeah. and when he says things like to the Galatians, you know Galatians um, three twenty eight about how you know there is no like in Christ there's no male and female, there's no slave nor free. Like this this thing we've all been we've all become one together in Christ. And I was thinking about this, Carol, as I was just kind of, I never thought about this before, but as I was thinking about this conversation in Ephesians, where Paul is talking about husbands and wives, he makes this statement about wives submitting to your own husbands in the Lord and, and all of that. And he's talking about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he starts to talk there about how the relationship of husband and, and wife in, in marriage, united in marriage, he even talks, he starts to say how he's talking about the mystery of Christ and his church, Christ and his bride. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about this, like if we think about, you know, if we look at that passage in Galatians, and that's not the only one, talks about all of us being united together in Christ and really becoming one in Christ and there aren't these distinctions and these dividing lines of separation, particularly like Jew, Gentile, again, slave-free, male-female. Right. He makes this statement talking about the relationship, man and woman, being representative of the relationship between Christ and his church. Mm -hmm. And if we talk about man being the head of, of woman in a married, marriage situation, he says, as Christ is the head of the church, men and women are both the church, right? Like men are not more 
the church. Men are not more the bride of Christ than women. And so he's using that language to mm -hmm. relate these two concepts together, the mm -hmm. way that the church, men and women, <laughs> the bride of Christ that we yeah. submit to Christ. And he talks about, you know, the wife submitting to her husband, which is her head. If Christ is the head of the church, he's our head. The, and, and we submit to him. It just seems to me like there's so much more evidence just pointing to from Paul, you know, because he's the only one kind of creating this mess <laughs> where we have these yeah, passages yeah. that we have to address here like this. But it seems to me like there's so much more evidence from Paul that he's, you know, saying that we don't have to worry about these different lines of division and separation and say, you know, men can only do this and only women can do this and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Took me a while to get that out, but. I, I think we get hung up on that, like that that passage in um, Ephesians five. It's Ephesians yeah. five twenty two through twenty four, because he is speaking of it metaphorically, and he even goes into, like you said, talking about the mystery of the union of Christ and the church. He almost says, "But I'm going off on a rabbit trail right now." Nevertheless, let the wife submit to her husband, and the husband love her. Right. He's saying, I'm right. going off on a rabbit. So he's not saying that the wife is like the church and the husband is, Christ, you know, and that what he, he was, he was drawing a comparison and a metaphor from Christ. I, I want to, I just want to read this. I found, cause I love this. And I, I, it's what I, what I can't say it better than this saying it. And this is what I, I think about, about that. Um, Christ's headship. Cause Christ, Christ is called the, the head and we're the body in some passages where it says he's the head and he nourishes the whole body. And it's like mm. that kind of, it's not like authority kind of head. It's um, kafali is the word, which can also be tra translated as, as the source, like the head of river, a river, like the mm. source. Okay. And there's people that dispute that. The first lexicon that was ever written in 1843 now by a man named Henry Lydell, he actually translated the word as uh, meaning a source or a fountainhead. Mm. Uh, the same usage that's used in 1 Corinthians 11, the head. The gotcha. Christ, Christ came incarnate. The source was God. Then, then Christ came in the form of a male the source man so he's the head of the man and then the woman was formed from the, from the man from adam so she, he's the source of yeah. her but then speaking of that first corinthians 11 passage paul later says nevertheless echoing the galatians passage he says nevertheless now the man comes from a woman is born of a woman so neither one is independent of the other except all things are from god so yeah mm. he can't be meaning it's an authority thing in either one but here like you said it's a metaphor and it, so i'll read this it says um christ's headship toward the church is expressed in his love self-sacrifice and provision for the church submission to this loving headship is voluntary and becomes transformed into a relationship of mutual reciprocity yeah mm. mutual mutual submission and yeah so paul never never notes that or never refers to the wife as the body only the husband the head. he's drawing he's just drawing metaphorical comparisons from a, an yeah. aspect of what it means that christ is the head and he even yeah. describes it he says like christ laid down his life and sacrificed himself that's how he's comparing the husband is to be 
you know, mm-hmm. be a sacrifice exactly. to yeah. her, to everything for her. And you, the wife, man, why wouldn't you submit to that and respect that? That he's he's laying down his life for you. Don't try to step all over him. Submit to him, you know. That's yeah. what Paul's saying there, which goes back to the original, what God intended original, originally in yeah. Genesis. When he created yeah. the male and the female, he created them both. They were both Adam, the male and the female. Yeah. Only until after the fall that he said, the wife, you're going to want to do this to him, and he's going to do this to you. <laughs> That's what happened. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so here Paul comes back and he says, no, in Christ, that's redeemed. It's not like that anymore. You wow. lift one another up. No, that's really, really helpful. And, and I think that's a thing that we do. I think that a lot of times in the church, we tend to derive our identity. Or I shouldn't say in the church, but just as as Christians, I feel like sometimes we we tend to derive our identity from our like the fallen nature of man, as opposed to God's original mm-hmm. God's original intent and God's original design for man. Mm-hmm. So we'll say things like, you know, we're we're all sinners, and you know this and and that, and it's like, well, we're actually saved by grace, and our nature has changed, so we're not sinners anymore. Because as you said, in Christ, we've been reconciled to God. Mm-hmm. So why do we why would we want to continue to relate to God based on our fallen nature when mm-hmm. we're not fallen beings anymore in terms of our identity in Christ because we've exactly. been renewed we're a new creation. Yeah. So oh, the old things have passed away it says all things are made new. All things are made new in Christ. And so we we've been we've been redeemed. We've been redeemed from that that curse of the law, the stuff that hangs over our heads and makes it, you know, difficult to to get to know God because you have to go through like all of these different things that you have to do. There's often like this this thing in the the minds of God's people of like wanting to hold on to certain rules and traditions and and things like that because I think it helps us to to feel like we're we're doing better. And when we recognize that, I, I love what you said, they're relating it back to the creation of man and woman in the image of God before the fall. Anyway, that was really, really helpful for me in my mind. Yeah, I'll expound on that a little bit of the creation, because he said, he, well, you know, it says in Genesis, he gave them both, he gave them both authority. Mm-hmm. He said to them, the male and the female, he said he created them male and female he created adam male and female so they were both adam in the beginning adam meaning humankind mankind right right so they were both adam and he gave them both authority in the earth but then the husband the man became oppressive in his authority after the fall and the woman lost her authority and became someone who was always going to try to take his place so talking about the you know, we, we, you know, I love what you said about we, we live, not live in our fallen state, but live in the redemptive state in Christ. Because, um, because there are, I'm just gonna say there are people who say, well, you know, you're a a feminist, and that's bad. And they, you know, they don't like men. I'm like, no, that's not what this is about at all. It's not, it's not about that. Um, We need Mm -hmm. men and women, both men and women in the body of Christ. And so Paul's talking about in Ephesians, it's like reciprocal love and mutual respect and and submission and support. Um, So that's what God originally set up was that kind of beautiful relationship. And then the fall came and it's exactly what the Lord said to them. He said, 
your desire is going to be for your for your husband, mm. which the word desire doesn't mean that uh, she's going to be needing him, being insecure, having to, you know, oh, oh, he's he's so wonderful to me. And then he's, you know, which I've heard yeah. it. I've heard it preached that way. And the husband and the husband is going to be a benevolent ruler that's going to take care of her because she doesn't know what to do with her life without him. I mean, I'm being facetious, but I've sort of heard it preached <laughs> that way, and yeah. um, and that's not what God was saying at all. He was saying this isn't good. This is a bad consequence of what's happened. He's and the word desire. When he says your desire is going to be for your husband, the only other place in the whole Bible that that word is found is in the next chapter where God is talking to Cain and says sin is crouching at your door and its desire mm. is for you to take you out to destroy you, to master you. And that's what God is saying to the woman. You're going to want to have his place. You're going to disrespect wow. him. You're So that Paul's coming and reversing it. God is saying, you're going to disrespect him. You're going to be like, you know, like Proverbs talks about the drip in the corner. <laughs> that's what it's yeah. going to be. And guess what? You're going to try and try, but he's going to rule over you. Wow. The word is oppressive. He's going to push you down. And history plays out that that's what happened in the relationships wow. of men and women. And even wow. now, you know, that's why the things we see now in the, you know, pornography and things in the Middle East, women are, women are oppressed and, and you know, and, and so mm. the feminists, when people say, well, it's a feminist and women's rights, that's the carnal expression. Yes. That's an expression. Because when I well was said. I was a teenager in the 70s, and I remember the marches of the you know I am woman hear me roar. I remember the women <laughs> would when the women would carry signs that said, "We don't need men, stamp out men." That's precisely what God said. You're going to want to stomp him out. Mm. So that's the fallen nature of what God said was going to happen. That has nothing to do with the redemptive state of Christ. <laughs> so yes. we're saying God, God. God frees men and women to do what he's called them to do in all in this kinds of things. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what God intended in the first place before the fall with the that's relationships, so you know? So yeah, that's really helpful. And I've definitely seen it happen. I'm sure you've seen it too. Certain church settings that are completely female led where you get the sense that it was kind of birthed out of that, that feminism sort of a thing of like, we don't need men. And it's like not really submitted to the Lordship of Jesus in that regard. It's more something that's coming out of, it might be coming from hurt. It might be coming from bitterness. It might be coming from, you know, again, maybe this feeling that like, maybe they grew up in that context of being oppressed because they were women with anything when we try to serve god or we try to serve people or we try to do whatever no matter what we're talking about when it's flowing from a place of bitterness or it's flowing from a place that is in one way or another not submitted to the lordship of jesus then we can get into trouble with that. So like, I just wanted to say, uh, I see what, what you're saying there. I've seen that play out, you know, in a, in a negative sense where I'm not saying you can't have a ministry that's completely female led. I'm just saying like it, in, in the context of where it's like that, where it's kind of that usurping of authority sort of a thing, and it's not done the right way that can for sure 
get out of hand. And I think that those are probably some of those like negative examples are the examples that some people would point to to pull from to say, oh, you see, this doesn't work. And this right. is why women shouldn't be in ministry. And it's like, well, no, hold on. Like you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because like some people have done it in the wrong way because we can point to the same exact thing with men led ministries where they've done it the wrong way as well. Right. You know, right. Yeah. It's just, yes, exactly. It's just not as prominent. It It's not as, you know, it wouldn't be as because yeah. it's all because it's been that way. Well, men are able to get away with it in church settings because it's right. like the it's That's acceptable. The like, we says. think it's script. We think it's scriptural. The Bible, yeah, the Bible says this is what the Bible says. I've had people say yeah. to me about the second, the first Timothy two. Uh, you know, it says it right here. It says it right here. Well, if you just read that verse and nothing else, <laughs> that's what it does say. But yeah. you know, um, you know, you mentioned in the beginning um, the. Uh, Saddleback, uh, what, what was going on with uh, Rick Warren and mm -hmm. all of that? Um, he he actually in his apology brought up the word, the Greek word there, um, uh, uh, authentian. I think the Greek word is authentian. Like, yeah, authentian, authentian. Um, you got it. Where, where it says, "I don't permit a woman to teach." Um, or to have authority over over a man. So that has been taken mm -hmm. to mean, well, if a woman preaches or teaches to a man, she's having authority over a man, and that's not biblical. And it doesn't mean that at all. First of all, again, like I said, this was revolutionary that women were even being taught. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what, that's what <laughs> yeah. I totally missed that, you know, because women weren't allowed to learn or anything. So, so he's saying they don't, the men are more knowledgeable at this point and the women, like you said, were still kind of saying that some of them were coming in saying, yeah, but wasn't it the woman? So that's where Paul Paul sets it right in saying the man was formed mm -hmm. and then the woman was formed because the women were teaching that the woman was formed first because that was the Diana, the Ephesus um, mythology mm -hmm. teaching that wow. it was the woman and Mother Earth and the woman was born and the woman was the one that um, formed the earth and everything. So they were coming in and saying, no, but it, but this is what they're saying. So Paul's saying, no, let's not have them teaching that. Let's let them learn, you know, mm. the right way. And I have a professor who that I had at Elam who knows Greek and knows Hebrew, and he actually reads the Bible in Greek, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, uh, that's cool. And uh and he knows he reads it in Greek like you or I would read the Bible in English. He reads it in Greek. Yeah. And he said there's actually an article, a little, a little article in the in the wording there in the Greek, uh, a character that actually um, puts it in um, a time frame that means not yet. So actually, what the verse is saying is saying Paul's saying, let them learn now. I don't know. I don't want them to teach yet. Mm. So the inference wow. there is there's a time that they would be able to teach. Wow. And, you know, and he, and why that's not, why that's not seen, I don't know, but he said it's, yeah. and um, that's, but that's why Paul goes on to say, Adam was formed first, then Eve, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and fell into transgressions. That's been used wrong. He was, Paul, Paul was just, giving the accurate biblical teaching. He was saying, 
what you're taking from the Greek mythology and all that stuff, that's not true. They were teaching, they were, the women, they were, women were coming in teaching other things. And, and he, when he says, I do not want a woman to have authority, the word there is authentian, which means to lead a military rebellion against. That's what that word means. Well, should a man lead a military rebellion against anyone either? I mean, he's, you know, it was it's definitely for for what was happening there in that specific yeah. circumstance. Um, wow. Because because get a load of this over in Corinthians, Paul writes about a, a husband and wife, and he says when a husband and wife, when the two of them are married, he has no longer authority over his own body but the wife has authority over his body. Mm. So I'm like, the, both, both the words are translated in English, authority. But the word yeah. authority in Corinthians is exousia, which is the same word that means we had the right to become children of God, to be called children of God. Come on. So, so Paul's saying in another passage that I have authority over my husband's body and he has authority over mine. It says the both. So he has mm. to be saying something something else in all of these passages where we talk about the head and everything he has to be saying something other than what we've been what pe what the church or what you know people yeah. have been traditionally translating it as or understanding it as yeah so. yeah if if you read it from the uh, passion translation Brian Simmons adds some really cool notes in there because the the way the way that he's translated it and he had some notes in there saying that he says it, it would have been very much understood to paul's audience of that day that paul there was referring to new believers he was referring to women who were n like newly coming to christ yeah. so that whole thing about you know keeping silent in the church and 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 all of that that it was like related to exactly what you're saying there. in other words what, what you're saying there really bears witness with uh, what other scholars have found mm -hmm. that it was a, a cultural thing it would have been very much understood by the audience that paul was speaking to that he wasn't saying this is forever and for all time and for every culture and for every person. This is a blanket statement from God. Women can't teach in the church and they need to be quiet. Yeah. Stop right. wearing braids. Yes. Get, get out of those Abercrombie jeans, put your Levi's on because Abercrombie's too expensive that it was something cultural for them because of the lifestyle. Number one, that they were coming out of because it even seems like, and I don't know because this letter, came you know the letter to the corinthians the letter to the ephesians these letters came of course after uh the churches had already been established and things were going on still fairly new but they'd already been been established so it doesn't even seem like and i and, and again i don't know because there may have been other instruction from paul or from another leader from the very beginning where he said this but we don't have that what we have is like Again, like it's it's significant. It's him correcting issues that he's seeing and and putting things in order and right. like explaining things in a way in a cultural context that are it made sense then, but it doesn't it doesn't mean that Paul was coming at this saying that you know women can't can't do this. They can't have these positions. And so there's there's other stuff as well, right, Carol? Like so we've we've mentioned a a handful of the problematic scriptures mm -hmm. there's basically two right. maybe there's four 
if you really want to like get down to it. But one of one of the ones that they use is that one from First uh, Corinthians eleven about like the head coverings and all that kind of stuff. But to me, that's actually more in favor of our argument than it is of the other side, because there Paul, that's, that's where Paul actually says, Hey, when your men prophesy in the church, do this. When the women prophesy in the church, do this. And so yeah. it's like, he's, he's giving that equal place. He's not saying when women prophesy in the church, you should shut them up because they shouldn't be speaking. He's, right. he's saying no, like he's adding things in order and he's and he's mentioning this and he's not saying that this was something that that was wrong or or anything. We we tend to focus there on like the head covering stuff and, and all of that and like why, you know, the shamefulness of women to have their heads. It's like, all right, we focus on that and, and we tend to miss the whole next part where Paul is essentially affirming women in prophetic roles in the church. Exactly. Exactly. We can yeah. make this thing say anything we want it to say. I know? know, I know, right? I'm like, why would he say over a couple chapters over that, that oh, she's quiet, and over here he says when she when she prophesies, which is like which is like preaching, you're declaring you're declaring the word of God. It's it also says in that um, you know there's there's all there's a few different meanings that could be there. Um, you know, like you were saying too, the the women, the women priests and stuff in the town, in the in the pagan temples and things, had their heads shaved, you know, or uncovered. So Paul is saying, let's let's make a distinction of ourselves that we are gods. You know, we are God's people, for because he says later on, <clears throat> because in the Old Testament the prostitutes were were covered themselves. So mm. you know. Um, so here it's, it's, there's something else, there's something else going on. I mean, nobody's been able to pinpoint what was really being, you know, yeah. what does it mean because of the angels and all that stuff. So, I mean, there's all kinds of <laughs> far out there things, yeah. but, but, but Paul says, um, judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered or does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? Well, what's long hair? Because Jesus had long hair. I mean, what is long hair? So we're, we're, not, we're not, you know, I mean, so, mm -hmm. but but if a woman has long hair, it's glory to her for the hair is given for her as covering. Uh, but, but then he goes on and says, but, but if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this. And neither do God's other churches. He says it right there in the passage. We don't have any other custom. This is what's custom, you know. It's like in the 1940s when all the women were wearing hats to church. You know, this is our this is the custom. This is what we're doing. Right. And, you know, he's saying this is what, you know, what where a man should wear a suit and a woman should wear a dress to church. That's our custom. That's what's acceptable right now. You know, that's what you're showing yeah. respect to God by coming to church dressed up. That's what Paul was saying there. So, I mean, it's right. It's right there in the passage. So yeah, yeah, know. that's so good. That's helpful. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> so, so where I was going, and then I kind of like bunny trailed myself as I was as I was talking there. I do that sometimes. Uh, what I wanted to ask you, so. You know, we've, we've mentioned some of the problematic passages. In my opinion, I mean, I think there's way more, you know, even if we were to take those couple of passages of scripture and we were to take them very dogmatically, 
again, it would seem to very much contradict a lot of the other stuff that Paul himself talks about and that other authors of the New Testament discussed as well. So like what what are some of the on the other side, what are some of the uh, scriptural you know evidence or support that would lend to our conversation here? You know, what's a, maybe one or two examples that that come to your mind to to say like this is actually these scripture references are supportive of women in in leadership or ministry roles in the church. Well, in the Old Testament, you've got Deborah who was a judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got, you know, Esther. You've got um, De- Deborah prophet. being a judge is a big deal, right? Because I mean, that's a governmental authority leader. Like she was the leader. Like she was the leader appointed by God. And so I've heard, <laughs> here's how I've heard people refute that. I'm sure you've heard this too. I've heard people say, well, God put Deborah because there was no man who would Barack, step yeah. up. It's because Barack asked her to go to battle with him. And I'm like, no, I mean, it says God placed Deborah as the judge. So mm-hmm. they used Barack because Barack went up to her and said, I don't, I won't go into battle unless you go with me. Instead mm-hmm. of saying, wow, what kind of leader and, and person and woman of character, person of character must have Deborah been for the general leader of the army of Israel to, to want her to come with them into battle. That, you know, but no, they say, well, Barack was a coward and he had to ask Deborah to go with him. And he really was the one who was supposed to be a judge. In fact, some translations of the Bible where, um, the, with, where Deborah is mentioned, they tag, they tag Barack on there, or they don't even mention Deborah and say Barack was a judge in Israel. And I mean, (laughs) that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. So, and they say that, but, and they say that because, um, uh, they say they say that because Deb, what do they say Deborah Deborah wasn't in the military. That's why she's disqualified as a judge. I don't know why people say that. Um, and Barack was in the military. I don't know why they say that because Samuel wasn't in the military either. But I don't, you know, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Samuel was a judge. Right. But, right. Um, but there, I mean, there's Miriam. There's Deborah. There's um, um, there's Holda who. You know, they called on Hulda to give prophesy she was a prophet. They called on her to explain the uh, uh, Josiah, called on her and the leaders there, called on her to explain the writings of God that they found. Um, you know, those are all things that, you know, why didn't they call a man? Um, <laughs> but uh, but also uh, there's all kinds of, well, Galatians 3.28, there's neither male nor female, junior Greek, slave nor free. Um, Priscilla and Aquila, who were teachers in mm-hmm. Acts, and um, the fact that uh, it says in Acts that well, Romans 16 13, 16 3, Paul says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila. When we right. first meet them, he calls them Aquila and Priscilla, he mentions the man's name first which was, if you know anything about the Greek language and the, and how people were mentioned, the person that was mentioned first had more, had a higher level of respect and supremacy. Um, so he mentions them as Aquila and Priscilla, more, more prominent. Mm-hmm. But later it says that, it says that they taught Aquila and Priscilla saw Apollos teaching the word of God and they took him aside later and taught him a more excellent way. And uh-huh. But both of them taught Apollos right. the right way. Right. 
later on, we see Paul mention them again. He mentions Priscilla first, always Priscilla's right. name, mm -hmm. mentioned first, which would indicate that she was the more prominent teacher of the couple. Right. So, so, yeah. and we see um, all of Romans chapter 16, he mentions Phoebe, who was, mm -hmm. she, Phoebe was carried the letters of, of the letters that he wrote. Uh, uh, yeah. The person that carried the letters would have been the one that explained, helped to explain them as well. These are all indications that, that women were able to be responsible and handle the word of God. So, and here's another one. There's so, there is so much, so much, so much evidence to show that Junia in Romans chapter six. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you about. That Junia was a woman. And right. the translations, there are, the, the translations that get it right are the translations that say Junia was a very important apostle. Apostle, right. Yes, that she was an apostle. That's like... That's like, I mean, there's been I such know, an assault on Junia People to change it to Junio, that. right? <laughs> yeah, Junius, but but Junia, and but it makes so much sense. If you even look at the at Romans chapter sixteen, it's the place where Paul is commending all these women. He's mm -hmm. got he's got Phoebe in there. He's got uh, Priscilla in there. He's got he's got Junia in there. He's commending the women, the ones that were with him, and others too. But that's the place, and it makes so much sense. That would, and there's so much evidence. I mean, I have re read not exhaustively, but a lot. I've read the ones that say why it's not, and the ones that say why it is, and the historical evidence that the church, the early church, and the early church fathers, they all would have known. They all would have said that Junia was a woman. It's, it's just yeah and, and I've even heard it said uh, that for the first thousand years of church history it was widely accepted by by church leaders that Junia a lot a lot of people think that Junia was the wife of Andronicus mm -hmm. um and so and who's you know mentioned in that in that past yeah. they're they're yeah. kind of mentioned together and, and so yeah. you know a lot a lot of people think I mean th I've, I've heard that from scholars that say like it was very widely accepted for a long time throughout the early church history that junia was the the wife of andronicus i don't obviously i don't know 100 if that's true or not mm -hmm. but so so either way listed among among the apostles is a is a pretty incredible yeah. distinction there and now why i've read translations of the bible that say andronicus and junia were noted among the apostles uh -huh. So if if they do get it right that Junia was a woman, they don't call them apostles. However, I've read other translations will will translate her name, um, will translate the name Junius, and then they'll say very important apostle was an apostle. Apostles. I'm like, okay, <laughs> so it's convenient, yeah. Yeah, it's and and the same thing for and people get people get kind of tanky about that too because they'll say, oh oh so. So we can say that other places, you're, you're saying that this translation is this trend. I'm like, we're not talking about doctrinal salvation. We're, we're talking about little, little things that just, it's not a, it's just, it's, you know, in the culture of whoever was transcribing or whoever was, trans, you know, whatever group of the, theologians were writing their translation, they chose to, you know, do that because obviously a woman couldn't be an apostle in their view. Yeah. So, yeah. But so, but here's another one, Nympha in Colossians 4.15. Mm. Uh, 
says, greet the brethren. This is the New, New American Standard Bible. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. That's the most accurate translation of that passage. Yes. And it would have been understood that Nympha was the pastor. Right. By the wording of that. So other translations, again, they translate Nympha as a man and put the S on the end of it, Nymphas, and the church that is in his house. Or they'll, or if Nympha's a woman, they'll they'll translate it the church that meets at her house, as if mm-hmm. you know she's making the coffee and cooking. Right. She would. Yeah. So, exactly. She. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, <laughs> like I don't think Paul would have been naming her. He's talking to you know the leader, the pastor of the house. So so those are some you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you think there's any biblical evidence? That would suggest that men and women should not be able to have exactly the same roles and rights and authority, you know, opportunities in the church. Do you think there's any scriptural support to say that there's any kind of limitation? And we've already seen there, like where Junia, you know, mentioned as an apostle, because I I have, you know, heard it said that women should not be in like bishop slash overseer roles. And I think the point or the place where that comes from is like so we've got Titus I think it's 1 verses 5 and 5 through 7 and then uh, we've also got I think it's in the first Timothy as well where Paul talks about a bishop or an elder or an overseer being the husband of one wife do you think that that's any kind of puts a limitation there as far as a, a woman being in a overseer or like you know bishop or apostolic role like that no because Jesus didn't have one wife okay so if we were to take it at face value there the husband of one wife so if we're saying the husband of one wife that means we can't flip it around and say the wife of one husband Mm -hmm. it seems like if we're not allowing that kind of switch there then we also have to disallow a man with no wife yes right like if we're taking it literally okay logically the logic Mm -hmm. plays out you know, if you take yeah. it literally, the um, the uh, that was speaking again to a specific situation where the the men had more than one wife; they had multiple wives in, yes. in that time. So Paul was just saying, because right now we are asking men to be elders. Um, don't let the ones that have more than one wife be an elder. He wasn't making an all time. You know, a woman a woman can never be an elder. He was he wasn't <laughs> speaking to that situation. He was speaking to the situation yeah. at hand. And then this was something I, I wrote some notes down on this because I had to do a little bit of a deeper dive into this. I was like, so like when you look at Titus chapter one, verses five through seven, let me let me read that real quick. Okay. Do we do we still have a little bit of time? Yeah, I, I mean that's up to you. I have time. Okay. Titus. All right. Titus chapter one, you said? Yeah, Titus chapter one, I think. So verses five through seven. So Paul writes, uh, for this reason, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I command you, as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. And he says for a, uh, a bishop, and uh, I'm reading from the New King James that <clears throat> some, 
<clears throat> excuse me some translations will say overseer there uh a bishop must be blameless as a steward of god not self-willed not quick-tempered not given to wine not violent not greedy for money so mm -hmm. he first uses the word elder then he uses the word <clears throat> in this translation uh bishop mm -hmm. or overseer so he uses the word elder then it seems like he's using those words almost interchangeably in that passage doesn't it like he says appoint yeah. elders and then he says, who starts to give a description of the kind of person you should choose. And he says, yeah. because a bishop should be this. And then, so it seems to me in that passage, like he's using those words kind of interchangeably. So the word elder is the, is the word uh, presbyteros mm -hmm. and the word uh, bishop there is the word episcopos, something like that. Um, and that's the word that's used in the first Timothy chapter three passage as well, which is kind of a parallel to this of saying, you know, a, a bishop or an overseer should be blameless, the husband of one wife. So Paul here is kind of, seems like he's using these two words, elder and bishop interchangeably. And I, I think, I think it's interesting. I mean, this is also the word that Paul uses, excuse me, not Paul, the apostle John uses to describe himself, uh, the word presbyteros, the, the elder, as he, as he uses in uh second John, you know, the first verse there where where he's speaking of himself, the elder, like this is who's writing this letter, speaking of himself in that way, the presbyteros. And so, but anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because in 1 Timothy 5, verse 2, which is the same letter <laughs> that Paul wrote to Timothy, where we're getting all this trouble out of, he uses that word there as well, the word presbyteros, to refer to the elder women. It, it, maybe just talking about respecting your elders yeah. in the church, but he says the elder men, and then he says the elder women, and there's no distinction. And it's this word that in other places is used to describe somebody who's, you know, overseeing or somebody who's in that, uh, you know, overseer leadership kind of role mm -hmm. uh, in the churches. So I don't know. I just thought that was uh, yeah. an interesting thing to consider the there as well. Translation says a leader. But then it has a little note that says an overseer or a bishop. But it but the new the new living translation writes it as a leader, a church leader. Mm -hmm. It could be like you're saying. I mean, you know, you have to I mean in, in Eastern culture, elders, the white hair, the hoary head is given a lot of respect. Um, as one who has wisdom, one that can be consulted with. So maybe the elders in the church were seen, elders were seen as that. So make sure if you're going to respect an elder as an elder, this is what they, you know, don't look to them as a leader, as someone who can mentor your life. Don't look to them in that way if they, you know, are given to strong drink and have rebellious children. If they have these problems, don't give them that respect to, to, look at them as someone who can help you lead your life. Does that make sense? I don't know. Because so. they use the word overseer <laughs> bishop, I understand the overseer bishop, but like then what's the pastor in the church? And what's, because today the church right. is the pastor as the overseer of the church. So the lead pastor. So yeah, that, ter that term elder seems to be a term that could be used interchangeably with the word pastor, somebody who's a shepherd, somebody yeah. who's, you know, overseeing a congregation. So somebody like, you know, Timothy or again, the Apostle John yes. or, yeah. you know, so, some somebody like, like or who he's writing to here in Titus. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems to be that that that's that that word can be used interchangeably. I just I just found it interesting that yeah. it seemed like Paul 
was using those two words interchangeably in the uh, in the passage talking to Titus. First, he uses the presbyteros, which again seems to be a word like the episkopos seems to be something that is more definitive, like a word that's more definitive for like this is a, in, an overseer or a bishop. Even if you want to use that word to say, you know, if, if you want to fit pastor into that or you know, what, what, whatever, you know, whatever else, but like, it seems, it seems definitive apostle. Yeah. Like a definitive, um, uh, word for somebody in a position of governmental leadership in a, Mm -hmm. over a ministry or a church setting. The presbyteros word seems that it could be maybe used a little bit more loosely, but Mm -hmm. I just find it interesting that Paul uses them interchangeably seemingly in this passage with Titus and and then also uses that same word to describe the elder women in the church. Elder women. So. That is interesting. That's very interesting. That's good. That's a good. That's good. Because why why would Paul do that if if he was making a mm-hmm. statement about women? like if he's trying to be clear about this, right? <laughs> like if he's trying to set stuff in order and be like these women, you got to shut them up, right? And then he's like using these words that seem to make it more complicated. It's just right. like, you know. but it would make you feel that, that Paul really isn't trying to say something about what we're exactly. He's just, yeah. He's just right. Yeah. So, well, well, it says that Jesus gave um, the Ascension gifts in Ephesians chapter four, when he ascended, he gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I mean, when I became like kind of like what Rick Warren did with that woman woman in his church. I mean, Chris and I, we pastored almost 10 years before I officially, officially got the, got the title pastor care. I mean, people would call me, but the elders and everyone says she's co, you know, she is senior co-pastor. And mm-hmm. um, we had people get really upset about that. And uh, they came to our house and like the one man, this couple came to our house, one of them and, and, said um i love carol she really when she preaches she really ministers to me i mean he was okay with me getting ordained he was okay with me getting um you know preaching in the church but when i got the title pastor that's when he had a problem yeah so he, the line. Yeah. so yeah so he and he said and i love when carol prophesies and all you know so he in the conversation i realized that i came to the point where i asked him this question i said so this is what I hear you saying. So you don't mind a woman being, a woman can be an evangelist. A woman could be a teacher or a woman, or you know, a woman can be an evangelist or a teacher, but she can't be an apostle or, or she can be a prophet. She can be a teacher, evangelist or a prophet, but she can't be an apostle or a pastor. He said, that's right. And I said, how, how do you come to that conclusion? I said to me, either she can't be any of them or she can be any of them. I mean, how how do you decide? How do you say? Well, she can be a teacher because God, Jesus gave all these gifts, these person gifts to the church. So now you're saying that a woman could be. Where does it say that? It doesn't say that anywhere. But yeah. the governmental, like you said, it's the governmental thing that people have a problem with. Mm-hmm. And so she can be an evangelist and a teacher and or a prophet and not have a governmental position. But a yeah. pastor and apostle is more of that, you know. But mm-hmm. I'm just like, mm, okay. Gotcha. Right. When I was studying, it just it just came to me, and I felt like Lord. I just felt like it was a little gift. I felt that God was showing it to me. If you if you look at if you look at Junia, who's an apostle. If you look at Nympha, 
who's a pa uh, a pastor. If you look at I'm getting the order wrong, but if you look at Anna, who was a prophet, Anna in the mm -hmm. temple. Uh, if you look at um, uh, what am I missing? If you look at the woman at the well, who was an evangelist, and if you look at Priscilla, who was a teacher, you have the mm -hmm. fivefold ministry um, represented in the New Testament. Yeah, in, in women. Yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> so come on, that's really good. Yeah. So my, my wife and I, we had a, a, a situation uh, where we actually had a a church split over uh, her teaching in the church. So we were planting a, a Spanish speaking church in Southern Alabama, <laughs> uh, which is a weird thing all by itself. But we were we were planting this 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 church and um, we had brought this guy on board and he was a uh, he he was a business owner. He, he had a restaurant um, and, you know, it was like a, a Mexican restaurant. It was a butcher type thing with restaurant attached. And, uh, man, he was so great. He was awesome. And he came from a from a Baptist background. And mm -hmm. me being like kind of just dumb, I guess, like I didn't even think about it. Like it didn't even really cross my mind that he was going to have a problem with this. <laughs> but, uh -huh. but he became a pretty prominent member of our church. And because of his business and he knew a bunch of people and he would like let his employees come to like if his employees were coming to church he'd let them you know be off of work on sunday or like off half a day kind of thing or whatever and he he helped us bring in a bunch of people to the church so like a bunch of our church <laughs> a bunch of our church members were really attributed to this guy and his relationship yeah. and connection to the community it was an awesome relationship and we had a great friendship we hung out a lot um you know, I'd go to the restaurant all the time. He'd give me free food. It was awesome. It was good stuff. But he, so then like this one day and I hadn't even really thought about it. My, my, we had my wife um, preach on a Sunday morning and that's when, man, he, he just turned on us. Um, he disappeared. We didn't see him for a few weeks. And then when I finally got a hold of him, he, he expressed to me the, the problem that he had. And uh, like, even on that day, like that Sunday, he left. He walked out and, and sat in his car until his wife came out and because he didn't believe that a woman should be able to teach a man. And, and so he wanted to remove himself from that. And then, you know, little by little, all the people that he had, you know, helped us to bring into the church and stuff like that, they started disappearing. And, and I think he was probably behind the scenes telling people, no, we need to go back to this church over here because these guys are doing stuff that's not biblical. So we lost a bunch of it was it was hurtful. You know, it was hurtful for my wife, you know, who knew she wasn't doing anything wrong or unbiblical, but yeah. still the way that it that it came across, like when it's people that are friends of yours and that, uh, you know, you've poured into their lives as well in different ways that it was just, we were kind of blindsided by it. Didn't really yeah, expect it to happen. I guess I should have in my mind, knowing what his background was, I should have had a little bit of a expectation that there could have been an issue there. It wouldn't have changed it. I mean, I wouldn't have done things differently because I, right, you know, right. I would have still let my wife, my wife's an awesome teacher. Yeah. And preacher. Like I wouldn't have held her back, <laughs> but it was, it was definitely an experience and, painful in in some ways you know sure sure because you developed a relationship <laughs> with the person you had emotional investment and that's probably why you got blindsided too because you thought he this guy knows us and we have a relationship and yeah, yeah. but those convictions are strong <laughs> yeah for sure we had someone get yeah. up and walk out of our church because i uh did communion i officiated communion Oof. 
he got up, said to his wife, let's go. And his kids, let's go. They came back and told, told Chris afterwards uh, that this is why I left and I won't be back. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and again, I mean, it's it's coming from a place, I think, of a lot of times of, of genuinely wanting to adhere sure. to what they believe the Bible is teaching, which is what we're all doing. Yeah. We're all, you know, trying to do that. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but I, I appreciate you so much, Carol, for your um your your insights on this and and clarifying some things, helping me clarify some things um in my mind. And and also I think this is a really, really just helpful conversation for all of us, for men and for women. And yeah. as you said before, as you were <clears throat> mentioning the fivefold ministry, I mean, that's where I think we really have the most, that, there's got to be other things in place as well. But but I think we position ourselves to have healthy churches and ministries when we have men and women in leadership, mm-hmm. uh, when we have fivefold you know, ministry leaders, we have prophets, apostles, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, agree. people with like different ministry giftings, uh, in our leadership structures and, and things of that nature, uh, diversity, you know, diversity of gifts as well as diversity of culturally speaking and things of that nature. I think that I believe that it's God's heart. And I, I don't have anything against a, a ministry that is specifically dedicated to women or a ministry specifically dedicated to men, even churches. Like I've had some conversations with micro church leaders where they start churches and kind of like these these homes or something like that that they might start out in a house a living room or some kind of a even open air space or something like that where they're kind of set up around a particular interest group even or something like that and so like i see merit in that as well because you know we're looking for community and yeah. and and you know i think there's different places to find it but i think that if we're in a church setting that's like growing and we're getting to where there's like a hundred people or more or something like, I don't know what the number the cutoff would be there, but like, but you know what I'm saying? Like that we've got to have this diversity. And I think that that's where we are strongest and where we the most represent God's kingdom. Exactly. And generations too, all the different generations, not. All yes. Thank you. Yeah. Say so, Yeah. All of that. I agree. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, Carol, thank you again. I appreciate your time so very much. Again, it was really, really helpful. I appreciate your insights and your perspective and uh, love to do it again someday. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Duke. It was good. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate you guys so very much as well. Hope you all have an awesome rest of your day and I look forward to seeing you all in a future episode. God bless.